Strange Brew Podcast Season 1, Episode 136. We have our first ever, what we are going to call an urgent emergency podcast. We've done emergency podcasts before, like when Dame Lillard was acquired via trade that day. We've done urgent podcasts before where we wait a day to get something out there. Well, we're going to split the difference here today. I woke up from a nap yesterday, my happy place. I checked my phone. Let's see what my idiot friends have been up to in the last hour and a half. And I've got a million texts and emails and notifications on Facebook about the Adrian Griffin news. And I thought, okay, should we do an emergency pod? Now let's see what all happens. Maybe they hire a new coach. Maybe this doc thing goes through. It'll be even still timely tomorrow. It'll be an urgent pod tomorrow. Then late last night, the Reese Hoskins news for the Brewers. Then this morning at 8 o'clock, the Joe Barry news for the Packers broke, which is emergency pod worthy, I think. So it ended up kind of being like Big Daddy, the kangaroo song, where I said, all right, we'll do one. So this is the first ever urgent emergency Strange Brew podcast. Let's go. On the ground, a chance here. Durham to Hardy to first. Here comes Melvin to the 25, to the 20, Gordon 15, 10, 5, touchdown, Wisconsin, record-breaking run. Morgan, a smash up the middle, face hit the center, here comes Gomez, around third, a throw, and the Brewers win. Here's the snap, he looks, he throws, it's incomplete, and there is your Super Bowl dagger. Booker the drive, gets inside, leads in. Backed away and stolen by Holiday. Phoenix has to foul. And a pinnacle ball throws it down. Swinging fly ball in the right center. Broxton is there. And they're the champions. They have done it. It's been a 50-year journey. Wisconsin, we've got a room at the top of the world tonight. The Milwaukee Bucks are NBA champions. Yeah, what a day. Wisconsin sports yesterday and that carries over to this morning with the Joe Barry news we're going to get to here at the end of the podcast we could also talk some Badger basketball I guess that was a crazy finish in Minnesota at the barn yesterday as well I don't know what we're gonna do with the Friday podcast I was hoping I could push this all off but at this point if we talk about all these things on Friday that's like 72 hours later so we're not going to go the newspaper route I guess that would even be worse than the newspaper route I don't know what that would be We have to do one today, and then I don't know what Friday's podcast is going to look like. We can still do championship game preview. There are some things maybe we'll talk about from the Matt LaFleur Monday press conference that we won't go over today that we could go over on Friday as well. But the Joe Barry news is obviously a huge moment in Matt LaFleur Packer history. We'll talk about that at the end of the podcast. But we've got to start at the start with this Adrian Griffin news. Holy moly. Now, if you have been watching the Adrian Griffin era, if you have been watching these Bucks games, I think we all thought, even those of us, and I would I would include myself on this list in this category, those of us that were optimistic that things could still get going in the right direction, the record was still good, and you weren't winning games by a lot, but you were still winning games, and they'll figure things out, and we'll see how it looks in the playoffs. I belong to that group where I thought they would give him the entire year no matter what. He would get the entire season and the playoffs, and if they come up short in the playoffs, which it looked like they were probably going to, then you move on from him at the end of the year. But the Bucks, to their credit, 
They noticed what a lot of fans have been noticing and talking about on social media after every game wins or losses. I think the only game where I saw a unified Bucks front was after the domination of the Celtics, whatever that was. Last week when they won 135-102 to 102, where they finally put it together for four full quarters and looked like a contending team. Every other game this year, pretty much, even the wins and certainly the losses, have left you feeling a little uneasy as a Bucks fan about what this is going to look like for the remainder of this year and in the playoffs and left you feeling a bit queasy about the relationship between Adrian Griffin and the players and what the schemes look like. But credit to the Bucks on two fronts. First of all, I want to say two things about Horst, then we'll go over Adrian Griffin and then what looks like it's going to be Doc Rivers. Two things on John Horst. First of all, thank you, John Horst, and everything else that's happened in the state for waiting until the end of the Packers season to do this. I know that that wasn't their intent, but I kind of think it might have been where they were watching this Packer team, this young Packer team, go on an unexpected run and Jordan Love ascending to the throne of the next franchise quarterback and they're in the divisional round. I feel like John Horst and company sat back and said, you know what? We could do this now. We could do this in mid-January. But they've got a lot going on. Wisconsin sports fans have a lot going on right now. They're spinning a lot of plates. They're fully invested in their Packers. Let's just give them that. It doesn't matter if we fire him or move on on January 15th or January 24th or whatever the dates are. We'll give them some time. Let's give them 48 hours after a tough Packer loss, and then we'll drop this news right when they're looking for something to move on to the next sports thing after the Packers season ends. Then we can give them this big bit of drama for their NBA franchise. Kudos all the way around to the Bucks hierarchy for waiting on that timing. The number two thing I would say about John Horst and the Bucks hierarchy is they do deserve a round of applause or a pat on the back or whatever for making this move when they did see things were not working, despite the record being good. Because a lot of organizations would do what we just went over. They make the coaching hire. They've got the two superstars. It's not quite meshing the way they thought it would, but they give them a year. They give them the full year. They give them a playoff run, see how it filters down after that, and if it still looks bad, then you move on after one year. I would say 8 out of 10 or 9 out of 10 organizations would do it that way and give the first-year head coach the full season and a full playoff run and assess after that. I do think the Bucks deserve credit for A, Basically admitting to making a mistake, which is not something that hierarchy people in any professional sport enjoy doing. And B, recognizing it's not working and moving on and giving yourself a chance yet this year. They look at this and say, what we say as fans, you've got this once-in-a-lifetime unicorn superstar in Giannis. You have now paired him up with another top 75 all-time NBA player in Dame Lillard. Lillard's under contract for a few years. Giannis signed the extension. Middleton's under contract for a couple more years. Brooks under contract for a couple more years. You've probably got, if you can, if you include this year, in my mind, now that, just keep that perspective. You're in my brain right now. It's a scary place. What's that over there? Why is there someone crying in the background? So in my brain, I think we are in year one of a three-year window. You have this year, next year, and the year after that. Then I'm pretty sure Giannis's contract is up or he can opt out. Dame's contract is coming to an end. Middleton will maybe be done a year before that. Middleton, by the way, that was also a bit of news I blogged about yesterday where Middleton becomes the third all-time leading scorer in franchise history. That was in Adrian Griffin's final game in Detroit. 26 points on 9 of 13 shooting, number three all-time. Who would have seen that coming from Chris Middleton? I blogged about this before all the other news. That was my Bucks news for the day on Tuesday. I clicked publish on that blog, and then three hours later, all hell broke loose. 
That's a major milestone for Middleton, though. And now that I've seen the actual list, I didn't know how close or far behind he was from Kareem. It's now Giannis, Kareem, and Middleton, one, two, three. Middleton gets past Big Dog Robinson, which is sort of ironic. Middleton's a much better defender over the course of his career than Big Dog was. They have very similar games, though. They're very smooth, mid-range jumpers, baseline jumpers. The three-point shot wasn't as big of a thing in the Big Dog era from the mid-'90s to the early 2000s. Ray Allen kind of sparked that on that 2001 team, a guy who was going to shoot five or six threes a game. So Robinson's three-point shooting numbers won't ever touch Middleton's, and Middleton is the all-time franchise leader in three-pointers made. Their mid-range game and how they're not ultra-quick, but they're very smooth, they mirror each other in a lot of ways. But I think if Middleton plays the remainder of this year and he plays all of next year, and even if he only averages what he's averaging now, 14 or 15 points a game and not the career average of whatever he is, 18, 19, 20 points a game for the most part, if he averages 15-ish points a game for the remainder of this year and plays 70 games next year and averages about 15, 16 points, he's going to be number two all time. Think of how improbable it is that this kid from Greece in the Grecian B-League They draft in the first round in 2013, and a 2012 late second round draft pick from Texas A&M that started in Detroit and was a throw-in in a Brandon Jennings for Brandon Knight deal just to make the salaries work. That's what Middleton was. They had to make the salaries work coming back. You have to match salaries in the NBA. The trade was Bucks send Brandon Jennings to Detroit. Detroit sends Brandon Knight, who had a nice little run in Milwaukee. They send him to Milwaukee. Oh, but we need something to balance these out. Well, how about we throw in the second-round pick, Chris Middleton? It was obvious, and I blogged about this, though. That team was so bad that he came into the 2013-2014-15 win team that he got playing time, which is how he was able to develop and how Giannis was able to develop. On any other franchise, they would not have gotten those minutes that early in their career. And when he was on the floor shooting and shooting, what, 47 or 48 percent in his rookie year, his second year, his first year in Milwaukee, he was a shot maker. You could just tell, kind of like Big Dog, this guy can make shots consistently. And the Bucks did not have a player like that and had not had a player like that in a long time. Brandon Jennings was extremely streaky. Monte Ellis, when he was here for a year or two, was extremely streaky. They didn't have a guy that you felt like every time he shot a 15-foot jumper, it was going in. You could tell right away Middleton had that to his game, and he built it and built it and built it. And the odds of those two guys not only becoming the leaders in franchise history in almost every statistical category, but also leading this team to a title, a second-round pick in 2012, and an 18-year-old first-round pick from the Grecian B-League in 2013. They become the pillars of a championship window and a title run in Milwaukee. Just crazy to think about the improbability of all of that. Anyway, where were we? Adrian Griffin. (laughs) I see this is my brain. You're in my brain. It's a scary place, and we go off in a lot of different directions. Anyway, but Middleton, is got he's got two more years. So the, the window to me is this year, next year, and the year after that. And who knows? It's the NBA. People can demand trades. I don't ever see Giannis being that kind of a guy. But you can demand trades. Maybe Dame wants to leave or something happens where it shortens the window. In my mind, this year, next year, and the year after that. And the Bucks recognized... What we all saw on the floor, this is just not working. The chemistry isn't there. The offensive scheme is scoring a lot of points, but looks pretty disjointed. And the defensive scheme, which was supposed to be Adrian Griffin's specialty, we don't know what's going on. And Giannis even said that how many weeks ago, that we need to figure out a defensive identity. You don't love to hear that 35 or 40 games into the year where your superstar player is saying, we're not sure what we're supposed to be doing defensively, but we've got 40 games to figure it out. Remember he said that two weeks ago. We all saw it, even though the record was very good and the team was winning games and staying in that number two spot in the Eastern Conference. They easily could have let this ride out. I think if they do, they're probably out in the second round in the playoffs. They might be out in the first round, and then you've wasted a year. 
Now you have a chance to hit the reset button. You've got a full second half of the schedule. It's not going to be easy to put a new coach in with new systems midway through the year. But when we'll talk about Doc Rivers in a second, you get an experienced head coach in who knows how to manage people and all that kind of stuff. Maybe you can salvage this year. I just appreciate that they saw it wasn't going the right direction and we're not going to waste this year. We're going to give ourselves a puncher's chance to still capitalize and maybe hopefully cash in in this championship window that we're in the middle of right now. So credit to Horst for waiting for the Packers season to end and credit to Horst and his team for recognizing there was an issue and not wasting an entire year with that issue and saying, this is not going to get better in our eyes. We need to move on now, and we need to try to salvage this season. Get some flex seal on this season, baby. We're taking on water. Get out the flex seal. Now, I want to talk about Adrian Griffin. I feel a little bad for Adrian Griffin. I'm not going to throw any kind of parades. I know there have been Bucks fans calling for Adrian Griffin's job basically since the Terry Stotts incident before the season began, and especially a week or two into the year. It felt extremely premature at that point to want to fire somebody, even though a lot of the points that that group of people were making, I thought, you know, they kind of have a point, but give him time. I do feel bad, though, for Adrian Griffin, and I'm not going to throw a parade for a guy losing his job. We're going to talk about that with Joe Barry in a second. I will be echoing that same sentiment in about, let me guess here. We're 12 minutes in. I would guess I'll be echoing that sentiment in 18 minutes or 19 minutes from right now, talking about the Joe Barry story. We're not going to throw any kind of parade for a guy losing his job. And Adrian Griffin, I think, was the victim of a timeline more than anything. And and ultimately the roster, but the timeline is what really hurt him. At the end of the campaign last year, with the way it ended, you had the number one seed across the NBA. All roads to a championship went through Milwaukee. And then you get upset in the first round by the eight-seed Heat. And not only upset, not where you even lost in seven games, you got routed basically in five games. At the end of that, even though Jimmy Butler went prime Michael Jordan for a while, and even though Bud was dealing with a lot of personal stuff where his brother passed away in a car accident in the middle of that season, you just felt like as a fan base and as a franchise, they had to do something. It was so bad and looked so bad, you had to do something. And the most natural thing to do was to move on from the head coach who wasn't making the best adjustments. You know, how much was his head into it with the stuff that was happening off the floor? I don't know. Only Bud can answer that, and he's in Tahiti somewhere, I'm sure, (laughs) enjoying a nice rum and coke and a coconut, and he's not being bothered by anything. There was a movement. I put it on my Facebook page yesterday when Adrian Griffin was fired. I thought, why not just bring Bud back? He knows the city. He lives in the city still, I think. You're paying him anyway. And maybe with this, whatever, six-month respite, he'll come back refreshed and the team will buy in and he'll be able to figure it out with Dame. I don't know. But he's not going to be doing that. And only he can answer those questions about how things were going for him personally and for the team at the end of last year. And he probably doesn't even want to talk about it. They had to do something, though, and that's what they did. They fired Bud, which at the time you can go back in the podcast archives we all kind of agreed with. And then they started this coaching search. They land on Adrian Griffin. There have been all kinds of articles written in the aftermath of Griffin's firing that initially it was going to be Nick Nurse. The Bucs wanted to hire Nick Nurse, the former Raptors coach who won a title. That was the season they beat the Bucs in the Eastern Conference Finals. Adrian Griffin was an assistant on that team. Then things got stale for Nick Nurse in Toronto. He's in Philly now. Philly's playing really well. Joel Embiid is playing really well. Apparently... Giannis and Nick Nurse met at some point, maybe at an all-star game where Nick Nurse was coaching and Giannis was a captain, and they didn't hit it off. It doesn't sound like Giannis really loves or doesn't feel like their personalities connect him and Nick Nurse. When that was discovered then that the Bucs were targeting Nick Nurse, I guess Giannis said, yeah, I really would prefer not. And they said, okay, well, of these three guys then, Nurse and Griffin and whoever else was in that list, on that list, who would you like? And he went with Griffin. 
I'm not saying he blindly pointed and just said, we'll go with that guy, but it kind of feels like maybe that was it. They hire Adrian Griffin, a first-year head coach. Okay, we'll see if he grows into the job. At that time, it was still the core of Giannis Middleton and Drew and Brooke, and maybe he's going to get a chance to grow into this job a little bit. Two months later, out of nowhere, you're able to acquire a -a once-in-a-lifetime top 75 all-time guard in Dame Lillard. That was the emergency podcast. I believe, like a lot of Bucks fans do, that if the Bucks would have known or had some kind of foresight or a crystal ball that said, you're going to get Dame Lillard, you're trading Drew Holiday for Dame Lillard. I think if they knew that, I'm not sure they fire Bud. There's There was a lot going on in that Heat series. We talked about the off-the-floor stuff. Maybe they still move on from Bud. I think at the very least, if they knew they were getting Dame, Adrian Griffin would not have been the hire. Maybe they hang on to Bud, or maybe they hire a more veteran head coach had they known that Dame was in there. But you didn't know that at that time. None of us would have ever guessed that they would have acquired Dame Lillard. At that point, we knew Dame won out of Portland, but it seemed like all roads pointed to Miami. He basically said, I only want to go to Miami, so figure it out. You never would have guessed that. If they could have known they were going to get Dame, maybe they hang on to Bud, but certainly they make a different coaching hire. So now you've got this first-year head coach in September. The Bucks acquired Dame Lillard. You now have two superstar players on your team. With a guy like Giannis in the prime of his career, you are always in win-now mode, but you're in even more win-now mode, more win, win-now-er more, <laughs> even with Dame when you add Dame to it. You were in a, you're always championship or bust when you have a player like Giannis for the most part. Even more so when you acquire somebody like Dame. Now you've got this first-year head coach. It's championship or bust. He's kind of learning on the job with a veteran team. And you just took away his number one defender. Adrian Griffin is a defensive head coach. You wouldn't know it by the way they play defense this year. But Adrian Griffin is a defensive head coach, and he was hired when they had Drew Holiday, who would have been his most versatile defender that you could put on almost anybody even though it didn't work against Jimmy Butler, I don't think you could have put prime Gary Payton on Jimmy Butler in that series against the Heat last playoff run. I don't think it would have mattered. You could have put any, name any elite defender in the history of the NBA. I don't think it would have mattered. Drew got burned. Anybody would have gotten burned by the way Jimmy Butler is playing in that series. So you take away his most versatile piece. There is a strong chance that Adrian Griffin's defensive scheme actually works or looks a lot better if you have Drew instead of Dame. You trade out his best defensive piece with an elite offensive weapon, but not a very good defensive weapon. I don't think we're parsing words there at all. Any defensive metric you look at, Dame is not a good defender and never has been in his NBA career. Okay, (laughs) so now you're a first-year head coach. You have to win a title this year. You're a defensive head coach. We took away your best on-ball defender, replaced him with an elite offensive weapon, but doesn't play very good defense. Go. (laughs) And go. It just feels like the team wasn't right for Adrian Griffin, and Adrian Griffin wasn't right for the team at the end of the day. And then you had a lot of that other stuff that ultimately were the tremors in the Jurassic Park cup of water. We hoped that they weren't. The Terry Stotts thing was big. They bring in Terry Stotts. As someone who has some experience, who has worked with Dame, especially on the offensive end, the offensive scheme, they bring him in. There's the blow-up right before the year. We still don't entirely know what happened there. It sounds like Terry Stotts just didn't want to be a part of some kind of sugar huddle with the coaches, and Adrian Griffin had a blow-up about that at practice, which I sort of understand the power struggle there, though. You're Adrian Griffin, a first-year head coach. Then the organization basically makes you hire two veteran assistant coaches because you've got this championship team. Okay, so you bring in Joe Prunty, and then you bring in Terry Stotts. But 
Now you've got an assistant coach who has an excellent head coaching resume in the NBA, who is used to being the head coach, and he's got a close relationship with one of your two superstar players. Griffin probably didn't handle it the way that he should have, but I can certainly understand if that person then says, I don't really want to be a part of what you're doing in practice. I want to work with these guys. You've got to assert some kind of authority. You have to give some kind of direction to the team. That was a tremor in the water. The defense looked so bad in the first two weeks, and then the reports came out that the Bucks players essentially had to convince Adrian Griffin to put Brooke Lopez back in drop defense because it wasn't working with what kind of hectic wall defense he was trying to deal with. Brooke, Brooke isn't that versatile anymore. Really wasn't at any point in his career, but especially now at 35 or 36 years old, they had to talk him into that. Then there was the blow-up at the in-season tournament in Vegas where the hungover Bucks got beat by the Pacers. There was the blow-up between Bobby Portis and Adrian Griffin in the locker room where Griffin was trying to talk about rebounding, and Bobby Portis basically said to him, you have to coach better too, and there was that whole thing. There were a few incidents with Giannis where Giannis was getting subbed out and basically refused and talked to Griffin about something, and AG said, okay, I'm fine, go back in there. Little things like that too just didn't quite add up. And again, even though the record was really good, 30-13, and 13, a 690 winning percentage, I'd have to go and look at Adrian Griffin. He's probably, if you limit it to 40 games coaching, he probably has one of the best winning percentages in NBA history. But despite the record, at no point did this look like a team that was going to make a legitimate championship run. Take the last two wins against the Pistons. Pistons are a four-win team. Bucks won both games, but they had to win in the final two minutes. And also, when you have Dame and Giannis, even if the defense looks terrible, and even if there seems to be discord in the locker room, when you have guys like that, when you have the second best or best, probably second behind Jokic, second best player in the league, and you've got a top 75 certified future Hall of Fame guard in Dame Lillard, when you've got that kind of talent, Middleton's getting back to 100%, and you got Brooke Lopez out there, Beasley's been shooting the lights out, even though he's a rough defender too. That's another thing. You took away his best defender, and then you gave him, Mike, you gave him Malik Beasley and Damian Lillard, two guys who are offense first, defense 10th. You've got that talent, though. You're always going to win games in the NBA. I firmly believe I or you or anybody could have coached this team to 28, 29, or 30 wins because that's how good they are just on their own, even without any kind of direction. A 30 and 13 is <laughs> kind of wild to get fired with that kind of a record. Those wins, though, were close. They were against bad teams. They were giving up a ton of points. There's, I guess, maybe before this move, I would have told you, oh, yeah, I think they can get it. I think they can get it turned around the playoffs. They'll figure it out by playoff time. In my heart of hearts, though, and most diehard Bucks fans' heart of hearts, I don't know that anybody really believed they were going to make a deep run in the playoffs this year with the way they were playing, especially defensively. But there is a part of me that does feel for AG where it was just a weird confluence of events in the offseason that leads to him getting the job, then a roster overhaul, then things don't get off on the right foot, and maybe he'll get a job or an assistant coaching job somewhere else. The rumors are he may join Nick Nurse in Philly, and you just know that's going to cost the Bucks somehow. Somehow that will come back to bite us. All right, now let's talk about the guy who could be coming in the door. First of all, Joe Prunty coaching tonight, I assume. I'd have to go and look. If a coach has ever been an interim coach for a franchise twice with a gap in between, do you know Monday, this week Monday, two days ago, was six years ago to the day that John Horst fired Jason Kidd and implemented Joe Prunty as the interim coach for the remainder of the 2017 season. And that year, they almost won a playoff series. They went to game seven in the first round in Boston. Six years later, six years and a day later, yesterday, Tuesday, John Horst fires Adrian Griffin and installs Joe Prunty as the interim head coach. I assume Joe Prunty is coaching tonight. However, 
there are a variety of reports out there that do indicate that Doc Rivers is going to be on his way to Milwaukee. It was a weird reporting situation last night. The news broke after Griffin was fired. Woj and Shams and all the heavy hitters on Twitter all said Doc Rivers is at the top of the list. They're trying to work out a contract. He seems to be the number one guy they are targeting to sign to, I would guess, a longer-term deal, a two- or three-year deal. Doc's not coming in for one year. Doc's not coming in to finish this year, and then let's see what happens. Doc's the kind of guy you're signing to a two- or three-year deal, probably at least two with an option. He was, by all reports, the number one target for the Bucks. Then last night, CNN Sports which I didn't even know was a thing. That used to be a thing. There used to be a CNN Sports Illustrated collaboration, CNNSI. That was like a channel for a while. I had not heard of CNN Sports in probably 15 or 20 years. CNN Sports reported that Doc Rivers is going to be the next head coach of the Milwaukee Bucks. The Bleacher Report went with that. NBA on TNT last night had Shaq on the air talking about that, and they were reporting that that was true. Woj then, overnight and early this morning, said they are working towards a contract, but nothing is guaranteed yet. It's odd that Woj or Shams have not confirmed this in CNNSI and the NBA on TNTF. Wolf Blitzer is your new NBA insider. Wolf, let's cut it to Wolf. Wolf, let's give us some New Hampshire primary results. And also, we have breaking news here. Doc Rivers is going to be the head coach of the Milwaukee Bucks. Thanks, Wolf. So it seems like he's the guy. I don't know what the weirdness is with this reporting. Also, news came out yesterday that the Bucks brought on Doc Rivers as an advisor, basically, or a consultant to work with Adrian Griffin and try to get things smoothed out. This is like Game of Thrones. You brought in the consultant, and then he ends up maneuvering his way into the job where Doc says, hey, listen, why don't we just, instead of me telling Adrian Griffin what to tell the players what to do, we could just take Adrian out of the mix, and I could just tell the players what to do, and you could pay me $10 million to do that. There was that story out there, that rumor, that I'm not sure I even know is true. That's the first I had heard of that, and you would think with a high-profile name like that, if he's helping Adrian Griffin – we would have found out about that, but maybe Doc had it in the back of his mind that this could be an option going forward, where he could be the head coach, and so you don't want to have the optics of, oh, I was brought on as a consultant, and now bingo bang on the head coach. Perhaps he kept it on the down low because of that. Doc Rivers is going to be the next head coach of this team. Where there's smoke, there's fire. Chris Haynes is an ESPN reporter who is very connected to Giannis and Dame Lillard. And he is reporting that this is probably going to be the guy. And he's, I'm sure, getting his information from Giannis and Dame. Doc's going to be the guy. So what does Doc Rivers give you? He does give you an adult in the room. We're going to talk about the negatives here in a second. But he does give you a guy with a 24-year NBA coaching resume with 1,100 wins in his career. He is an NBA champion. That 2018 with Garnett and Ray Allen and Pierce in Boston. They made another finals run two years later, lost in seven games to the Lakers. He's got a pedigree. He's got a ring. He's got over 1,000 wins. He's been around for two decades. He's been in the NBA basically since 1983. His name is in the Pfizer Forum Rafters. Not many people can say that. His number 31 from Marquette is up there. I think he was drafted, was he Marquette, 1980 to 83, I think. And then he was drafted, and he's been a player or a coach or an analyst every year since then. Doc Rivers goes so far back as a head coach that that 2001 Bucks team, which up until this Giannis era was all that me and my fellow Bucks fans had to cling to, that one Ray Allen, Glenn Robbins, and Sam Cassell year, the year they made the run and got screwed in the Eastern Conference Finals against the Sixers, not that I'm still bitter about that, the year they made that run, 
in the first round of the playoffs that year when it was still a best of five, you know who they beat? The Orlando Magic and Doc Rivers. That's two th- That feels like eight lifetimes ago. That's how far back Doc Rivers goes. Doc Rivers has a history of winning. He has a history of managing personalities, which may be a factor here. And he just gives you a guy who knows his schemes. He knows what his offensive scheme is. He knows what his defensive scheme is. He knows how to run practices. He knows how to manage egos and personalities. That's what he gives you. Now, Doc Rivers also is much maligned, and when you look at his record, rightfully so, for recent playoff failures. He has not been to the conference finals despite coaching loaded teams in Boston, in L.A. with the Clippers, and more recently in Philadelphia. He has coached loaded teams, and he has not been to a conference finals in over a decade. He is second round and out. If you look at his coaching history on Wikipedia, lost in the conference semifinals, lost in the conference semifinals, lost in the conference semifinals. It happened last year, too, when they had the lead on Boston when he was with Philly, lost those final two games. Not only do they lose, he has to have some kind of record for losing series where you have a 3-1 or 3-2 advantage. That's the biggest knock on Doc, the knock on Doc. That's the biggest knock on him is that in recent history, well, 10-plus years, he just can't get teams past the second round despite having a loaded roster. I would argue, when you look back at the rosters of the Sixers last year or the Clippers with Chris Paul or whatever, those late-stage Celtics teams, he has not had a couple of killers on his roster. Giannis is a killer. Dame is a killer in big games. We saw it against Sacramento a week ago or a week and a half ago. He's never had that. He's always had a team loaded with talent, and Embiid won the MVP with him last year, and he's playing even better this year. He hasn't had that caliber of player since Garnett, since that championship run in 2008 and getting to the finals in 2010. And then ultimately, those Celtics teams got old, and LeBron ascended to the throne, and they just couldn't get past LeBron then for many, many years. That is the biggest deterrent, I think, for a lot of fans out there that have seen Doc fall apart in playoff games and playoff series in the second round. They're saying, good luck. It appears as though he is going to be the guy. I don't know who else. I've seen rumors of Jeff Van Gundy on the short list or maybe Kenny Atkinson again. And Atkinson, I'm pretty sure, was the guy they interviewed in the process that ultimately led to Adrian Griffin becoming the head coach. I don't want either of those guys. Atkinson, I could pallet a bit more. We don't need to see Van Gundy or Mark Jackson. I saw his name out there. Guys that have been on the microphone for almost 20 years. We don't need to rehash that. At least Doc Rivers gives you a guy that's been in the NBA and coaching as recently as last year. The, the hang-up, I would imagine, is over the length of the contract. All reports are, if you listen to the Bill Simmons podcast when he's talking about how bad the Bucks are, all reports are that Doc has been enjoying his retirement. So it's going to take, I would guess, a fair amount of money and a decent commitment to lure him out of retirement. Like I said earlier, this is not going to be a situation where you can bring in Doc for the remainder of the year and then maybe make a move in the offseason to extend him. Or if he doesn't want to coach anymore, you can find somebody else. That's not how this is going to happen. This is going to be a minimum two-year with an option, three-year deal for Doc Rivers. I would imagine that's what the hang-up is right now, but he is going to be the coach. I'd be stunned if we end up at a road where he is not the head coach. In fact, I should just check Twitter right now just to make sure that it hasn't been made official. Yeah, CNN Sports, CNNSI, CNN Sports was just a wild turn of events. Let's just see here. Nope, nothing yet on Doc Rivers being official. A lot of Joe Barry news. But that's where we're at with the Bucks, and now we see what they can do going forward. I did have a text asking me this morning on the B93 Morning Show. We talked a little bit about this, not 30 minutes worth. 
A texter asked, do you think Giannis had a say in this? Absolutely. There's just no chance. Even if Griffin was Giannis's guy and that was his pick during the interview process, there isn't a chance in hell they make this move without Giannis's approval. I don't think John Horst would take a dump without Giannis's approval if that were a part of Giannis's contract. He would be like one of those middle school, can I go to the bathroom now? And then Giannis gives him that big embarrassing toilet seat that he's got to walk to as a hall pass. That's they're they're not making a move without Giannis, especially after he signed the extension a month after the Adrian Griffin hiring and the trade for Dame Lillard. They're not making this move without having, I would guess, Giannis and Dame both in on the conversation. If not more, Middleton might have been involved in that too. They do not make this move without an approval from Giannis. And Giannis will deflect. They're going to ask him about it tonight. Horst has a press conference at 5.15 tonight. I wouldn't be shocked if Doc Rivers is introduced as the head coach today. I don't think he coaches tonight, but he probably does on Friday. But there's no way they make this move without Giannis. Giannis will say all the right things about Adrian Griffin. And Griffin said all the right things yesterday, too, by the way. He said he was grateful for the opportunity. He got to coach this once-in-a-lifetime team, and he hopes to get another opportunity. He said all the right stuff, too, when I'm sure he is stewing about this and has to be bitter about the way this whole thing went down, at least a little bit. How could you not be? Giannis will say all the right things about the time Adrian Griffin spent there and everything he learned from him. All the guys will say all the right things. There's no way this move is made without prior approval from Giannis and Dame and maybe even Chris Middleton on there. We'll see what Horst has to say tonight and if this doc thing gets finalized before they take on the Cavaliers. 7 o'clock tip time tonight. We could see at least one game of Joe Prunty. Let's talk about the Brewers. This dropped last night, late last night. I was just about to close my eyes after scrolling Twitter for the Doc Rivers news. And I thought, you know what? I'll check Facebook one more time. I load up Facebook, breaking news, ESPN Milwaukee, eight minutes ago. The Brewers are actually signing a true blue real first baseman, a two-year, $34 million deal for Reese Hoskins. The number one thing I like about this move The Cubs reportedly wanted to sign Reese Hoskins, and I think there's a part of Mark Atanasio with how the whole Craig Council thing played out that is now looking at making moves purely out of spite. Certainly. May I ask why? For spite? That might be... Jacket? Certainly. May I ask why? For spite? And I love a spiteful team owner, a spiteful multimillionaire, maybe billionaire. With how the whole council thing went, we could be living in a year run or a two-year run or I don't know how long Mark Atanasio can hold a grudge for. Love a good grudge holder, too. This could be a situation where if he can afford to, now he's not going to be able to put out, like we talked about in the reason council left, he's never going to be able to match the $200 million contracts or whatever that you assume Chicago is going to put out there at some point. But this one, where it's $30, $40, $50 million, we may be living in an era for a while where if Mark Atanasio hears a rumbling that the Cubs or Craig Council wants somebody in Chicago where he just swoops in and outbids them for a player like Reese Hoskins. Reese Hoskins is, like Doc Rivers, he's a real guy. He's a guy with a resume. He's not an old guy. He's 29, I think, or 30 years old, still in the prime of his career. He is coming off of an ACL injury last year. That should be noted. But in the years prior, he got called up in 2017 in Philly. He's a guy who pretty much hits you around 250, around 30 home runs, and between 80 and 100 runs driven in for the most part in his career. He has a career 850 OPS, everybody. That's a real, legitimate, middle-of-the-order bat. We were struggling to find anybody in a Brewer jersey at last year with a decent amount of bats that was even sniffing a 780 OPS, 850 career OPS. 
coming off of injury, but a player you can install at first base. He does have some defensive metrics you don't love, but whatever. He is an actual, real first baseman. Not a scrap heap guy. And look, we all love the big old man, Rowdy Telez, and he hit some big home runs against Atlanta in that playoff series a few years ago. We love chanting Rowdy. He's got like Bobby Portis. It's like the same thing. We love chanting Rowdy. We're a simple people. We love chanting Bobby, Bobby, and Rowdy, Rowdy. If you have a five-letter name with a Y at the end, we just love you in Wisconsin. You're very chantable. But this is a true first baseman. We have not had this since Prince Fielder. We haven't. They're, they've been searching for a replacement for Prince Fielder. This feels like we're talking about the 2001 Bucks. This feels like if that was eight lifetimes ago, Prince feels like at least five lifetimes ago. And they've tried to plug that gap with Matt Gamble with one T. They've tried to plug it with Adam Lind. I mean, Jesus Aguilar in the 2018 season had one good year or half a good year in there. They've tried to plug it with guys like Chris Carter and Rowdy Telez and these scrap peep throw-in trade deadline guys that you're trying to squeeze something out of the toothpaste tube with and maybe you stumble into something good there. That's not what this guy is. This is a real person that you can put at first base and feel good about him as long as he's healthy, making 140, 145 starts at first base. Pencil him into the middle of the order. Pencil him into first base. They have not had a guy like that at that corner for a long time. They've been struggling with the corners, third and first base. This young guy they've got, Tyler Black, is rated the fifth best third base prospect in all of minor league baseball. Is he going to start the year on the major league roster like probably Jackson Churio is? I do not know. He profiles, though, as a guy that you're hoping is going to be your everyday third baseman. But you have a solution now to at least one of the corner infield spots by requiring Reese Hoskins. Hoskins had some big home runs for that Philly team, too, a couple of years ago as they made a run to the World Series. I think that was 2022 had some massive home runs at Citizens Bank Ballpark. That's another part of getting a guy like this. He has playoff experience. He has experience on winning teams and being in those big moments in late September and October. Two-year, $34 million deal. There is an out there after one year, so if it doesn't work out for whatever reason, I think either side could move on from that. That was big news yesterday and further proves what we've been talking about with the Brewers. We expected, going way back to when the season ended in October, We expected that they were going to trade Corbin. He's entering the final year of his deal. Get everything you can from him. Trade Willie. He's entering the final year of his deal. Get everything back you can for him. You knew Woodruff was out, and that was sort of the linchpin to me from, well, maybe you go all in and you keep all these guys and you make a real run next year. Well, when Woodruff was out for the year and you had to cut him, that felt like the biggest domino to fall. Okay, now we're going to trade Burns and we're going to trade Adamas. This is going to be a soft rebuild at minimum. And that's just not what they're doing. They came to terms with Burns, didn't have to go to Arb Court. They came to terms with Adamas. They came to terms with Devin Williams, who was two years left on his team control. They have him on a two-year deal now. And now you spend money on a guy like Reese Hoskins, a middle-of-the-order bat. They The rumors were that Mark did not want to go through any kind of rebuild, whether it was a hard rebuild or a soft rebuild or a middle-of-the-road, like, like, your, like your boy here. Right in between, right, right in the heart of the middle of the curve. I got a, we've got a physical for a Strange Brew International headquarters on Friday. I guess we'll find out. We'll find out where it looks on the flowchart. But he doesn't want anything to do with any of that. He wants to compete every year. Will that come at a price if you play this whole year out and you win 90 games and you make the playoffs and you're out in the first round and Burns and Adamus walk and you get nothing for them? Yeah, that's the rope they're going to walk here. Or if somebody gets hurt and then damages their trade value, certainly if everybody's healthy and the season just doesn't go the right way, you could still trade a lot of these parts at the trade deadline. You'll probably get 50 cents on the dollar from what you could have gotten at the winter meetings, but there's still a return you can get there if things really go south. 
But signing a guy like this, a middle-of-the-order guy, and spending some real money on a free agent and keeping Burns and keeping Adamas and signing Wade Miley and locking up Devin Williams, it looks like they're going to try to lock in here, and if they can win 90-plus games again and try to get to the playoffs, get another bite of the apple. But it looks certain now with this move that they are going into the beginning of the season with Corbin Burns as their number one, with Adamas as their starting shortstop, and now Reese Hoskins as their starting first baseman. I love it, though. What a great signing for Matt Arnold and Mark Atanasio yesterday. Then let's end on Joe Barry. He got from Matt LaFleur, the godfather. It's nothing personal. It's just business. It's not personal, Sonny. It's strictly business. Monday, Matt LaFleur was a bit cagey on whether or not he was going to bring Joe Barry back. That was either the first or second question from Packer Media from the beat reporters on Monday in the season-ending press conference about what are they going to do with the staff going forward next year. Last year, when the season ended at the hands of the Lions to end the regular season, they didn't make the playoffs. He went out of his way, Matt LaFleur did, to say, we are keeping Joe Barry. He did not say that on Monday. They asked him the exact same question, and his answer this time around was, I'm going to take my time, I'm going to move at my own pace, and we're going to figure out what we want to do. We're not going to rush into anything. That was the red flag of your Joe Barry. If you're Joe Barry listening to that, you were looking for a solid commitment like the one that you got last year. To not hear that, you kind of knew your job had to be in flux. And then ESPN's Tom Pelissero, or is it NFL Network? I forget where all these guys work. CNN Sports, Tom Pelissero. He reports, and it was confirmed by many outlets this morning, that they are moving on from Joe Barry. I thought there was a chance Joe Barry had saved his job. We talked about it on the podcast. Not only did I think there was a chance, after the Cowboy game, I'm pretty sure I said he saved his job. The way they played against Minnesota, the way they played against Chicago, the way they played in the minutes of consequence against the Cowboys, holding them to 16 points for the most part in that game until we had special teamers on the turf with eight minutes left in the game and they gave up two touchdowns and two two-point conversions. With the way they played there, and then you look at the San Francisco game, as we said on the Monday podcast, that was a team loss. You had a huge missed kick from Anders Carlson. You had two really bad decisions. One truly terrible Jordan Love decision and another one that was behind Tucker Craft that led to another turnover. You had some bad passes and bad decisions from the offense, the missed kick. And then you had a defense that had a chance to get two turnovers. They couldn't do it and had a chance to stop San Francisco on that final drive and couldn't do it. The raw numbers for the defense against San Francisco weren't awful. You held them to 24 points. Like we talked about on the Friday podcast heading into the weekend, my feeling was if you could hold them to 20 or 24 with the way the offense was moving, you could win 27-24 or 30-24. to And if Andres Carlson makes a kick or you decide to kick when you go for it on fourth and one, that's about what it could have been. It didn't feel like you left San Francisco, though, thinking the defense cost us that. We scored 35 points, special teams played perfectly, and we lost 38-35. to It wasn't like that. It wasn't so bad where I thought, well, now you have to move on. I really thought that he had saved his job. You look at the raw numbers, though. Let me see if I can get my Twitter up here. And when you look at the raw numbers of his time, year one with Joe Barry wasn't the worst. Remember, they had a fringe top defense, and in that divisional round playoff game against the Niners at home in 2022, the defense almost won them the game. That was arguably the best individual defensive performance in any Aaron Rodgers-led playoff game that he had seen in his entire career. But when you add all of it up and look at the totality of it, the numbers aren't great. In the Joe Barry era, they were 24th in EPA per play, 30th in success rate, 17th in EPA dropback, 31st in EPA rush. I don't know what any of those stats mean, but they're all near the bottom of the league. You don't love that. In a 32-team league, there are way too many late 20s, 30s, or 31s on there. When you add up the three-year run, 
they kind of came together at the end of last year and tried to get the team in the playoffs. They kind of came together at the end of this year. It's hard not to remember, though, that run of games in New York where Tommy DeVito was running wild on you, and we're probably never going to hear of Tommy DeVito again in our lives. Baker Mayfield, although that became a playoff team, and Baker had a good year torching you at home. Bryce Young and the hapless Panther offense. That, to me, had to be the tipping point. I guess you can kind of write off a bad performance on a Monday night stage in New York for a young team. The Buccaneers were not bad, and that offense with Godwin and Mike Evans is still pretty loaded, and Baker had a solid year for Tampa. You could maybe excuse that one. When you went into Carolina, and they had not scored a touchdown in eight quarters, and they moved the ball up and down the field at ease against this Packer defense and scored 30 points far and away, so far and away their best offensive performance. I mean, you might even you don't even have to make a list. That's number one, two, and three, just that game. That's the only game this year where Panther fans can look at and say, boy, Bryce Young might have it. He might be our guy. Every other game, it's looked like trash. That was the only glimpse or glimmer of hope they got against Joe Barry's defense. They got it together in the remaining two games. That Panther game, though, to me, sticks out as one where Matt LaFleur had to look at that as they barely hung on by the skin of their teeth in that game. And that game would have been tied if the Panthers had one more second on the clock. No doubt in my mind, and they probably lose that game in overtime, lose 40-33 to or something outrageous like that. And then we never experienced this run. That game had to be the inflection point, I think, for Matt LaFleur and deciding to move on from Joe Barry. Where do they go? I don't know. There's a lot of options out there. Bill Belichick? Maybe Joe Maybe Joe Barry coaches the Bucs, and we solve, we solve a couple of different problems here. Oh, that wouldn't solve anything for the Bucs. I don't know. Mike Vrabel's out there. I would assume he's going to be a head coach. I don't think he wants to go back to being a coordinator. Jim Leonard was a guy when they hired Joe Barry. All the reports seemed to indicate that Jim Leonard was offered that job. At that time, though, for Jim Leonard, it looked like he was still the head coach and waiting at Matt in Madison, which is where he wanted to be. Maybe that changes now. My understanding of the Jim Leonard situation was they wanted Jim Leonard to be the defensive coordinator before hiring Joe Barry. Jim Leonard thought at that point that he was the head coach in waiting behind Paul Christ. He wanted to be in Madison. If he had his option of being the D.C. in Green Bay or the head coach in Madison, he wanted to be the head coach in Madison. His family's in Madison. He's got young kids. Well, now that that didn't filter out and he's kind of an assistant advisor for Brett Bielema in Illinois and who knows what his next move is going to be, with those circumstances changing, would he re-examine that if he were offered the job? Maybe. That's a name that could be out there. There are other guys they interviewed during the process where they hired Joe Barry that had good interviews apparently that they may revisit. But we are going to see a new defensive coordinator in Green Bay in 2024 and 2025. Hallelujah for many of you out there. Again, not dancing on grapes. Just to reiterate, we're not celebrating anybody losing their job. However, with the way things had gone in the end of the year last year and in some of the games in the middle of the season this year, it just felt like with Jordan Love entering the beginning of his career and the beginning of his prime, let's not have what happened to Jordan Love what happened to Aaron Rodgers for a lot of his career. Rodgers had an outstanding defense in 2010 when they won the Super Bowl. A pretty good defense in 2011. The Nick Collins injury sent that team, that side of the ball, it feels like spiraling. And they never really had. I mean, they signed Peppers. The 2014 team's defense was pretty good. I feel like they were a fringe 10 team, top 10 defense, and that was a year where they should have been in the Super Bowl. But for most of Rodgers' career, if you would have given him the Brady defense, that's always the argument to me between Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers when you compare those eras of those teams. Yes, Brady is the GOAT. When you have six rings or whatever, is it six or seven? When you have seven rings and you've been to a million Super Bowls and title games, you are the greatest of all time. However, 
if you look at Tom Brady's run, he had a lot of top 10 defenses and top five defenses and a couple of number one defenses. If you gave Aaron Rodgers from 2011 through 2023, if you gave him six or seven top 10 defenses, do you feel like we probably have one more ring? I think we probably have Aaron Rodgers has one or two more rings if you give him that caliber, that Patriot caliber defense during that run. Now you've got to make a choice and try to find a D.C. that can do that and not see Jordan Love end up in a situation over the next five or six years where he's having to score 30-plus points a game just to win playoff games. But Joe Barry out, Reese Hoskins in, Adrian Griffin out, probably Doc Rivers in. It has been a massive news 20 hours in the state of Wisconsin. So that will conclude our first ever urgent emergency podcast. What kind of content we have on Friday, I have no idea. There are some things I want to go over that Matt LaFleur talked about offensively from Monday. I've also seen some takes that were ranking how tough that loss was on Saturday up there with some of the tough playoff losses in the Rodgers era, which I don't think it even touches. We can talk a little bit about that. We'll preview championship weekend. Maybe by Friday we'll have a firmer grasp on is Doc Rivers officially the guy. Again, I think Joe Prunty coaches tonight. We can recap that. We can talk a little Badger basketball. Should we save that for Friday? It was quite a win for the Badgers at the barn yesterday. Let's save that for Friday. We've got to save something for Friday. Marquette plays, and then we can talk about that on Friday, too. I would anticipate a 30-ish minute podcast on Friday. It's going to be a shorter Friday pod. But today, with all the news we had to get on. We will chat with you Friday. Have a good rest of your week.